proverbially speaking, proverbially speaking, the Holy Spirit is kind of like the red-headed stepchild of the Holy Trinity. And by that, I mean that for the most part, the Holy Spirit is neglected and ignored by us. She is trotted out but one day a year, and that is on, on the day of Pentecost, the only day of the Christian year that we celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The rest of the year, we have absolutely no time for her. I want to be perfectly clear, this is not a, a uniquely hillside community church way of being. This is not a, a recent trend in Christianity. Uh, but really, this is true for Christians throughout Europe and North America, and has been for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I don't want you to just take my word for it this morning. I actually have a slideshow up there for you. And you know, it's not a PowerPoint. It's got to be true. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you some, some historic works of art. Uh, and these works of art, they depict the Holy Trinity for us. And I think what you'll see in these historic depictions of the Trinity is that God the Father and Jesus the Son are living large there, right in the center of everything. They're, they're taking up most of the canvas. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is depicted in the form of a dove about a tenth of the size of the other two. And, and whereas the main action of the scene is always happening between God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit's just kind of hanging out there, not really doing much. Uh, so we're going to play a little game of, of Find the Dove. Okay, so, so this one's not so bad. The, the Holy Spirit's right there. I have a laser pointer. Okay, my laser pointer's not working. Oh, there it is. There we go. There we are. Holy Spirit's right there. It's good size. It's not one-tenth of the size. Maybe just an eighth of the size of the other two. But he's really not involved in the action of the scene. This next one, this is an icon from the ceiling of a monastery. Oh, and I think what's interesting about this one is that I don't think the artist had ever seen what a bird looks like before. Because uh, the Holy Spirit kind of looks like a ferret with wings. <laughs> okay, this next one from 1491. Do you see where the, the Holy Spirit is on this one? Yeah, it's just kind of perched up on the shoulder there, looking like a parrot. I guess God in this situation is kind of like a pirate. He has a pirate feel about him. Okay, this one, the Holy Spirit is in the center of this one, but the Holy Spirit is very small again, not nearly as large as, as Jesus or God. And then this final one, do you see the, the Holy Spirit in that one? Yeah, the ascot that God is wearing, that's, the, that's supposed to be a dove, that's supposed to be the Holy Spirit. I was looking at this in high definition on my computer screen, and it took me about ten minutes to locate the Holy Spirit there. Oh, yeah, here, right there. There we go. That's the Holy Spirit right there. Uh, so suffice it is to say uh, that we don't pay much heed to the Holy Spirit. We don't pay her much attention. Even so, even so, in this morning's passage, Jesus says that the one unforgivable sin is blaspheming 
against that little guffer up there. The poor, neglected Holy Spirit. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the one unforgivable sin. So that is a very strong statement. That's an absolutist statement. Uh, And and we didn't get to that statement last week, and that is why we were turning to this passage this week, uh, because we can't go, I think, without talking about it. So to wrap our minds around this idea of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, I think we first need to understand the work that the Holy Spirit is supposed to accomplish in our lives. What the Holy Spirit is supposed to do for us and in us. So most often when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about her in terms of the, the joy and the peace and the comfort that she brings to us. We talk about the Holy Spirit in terms of the strength and the power and the life-giving energy that, that she puts inside of us. We talk about the Spirit in terms of the wisdom that she bestows upon us. We talk about the, the gifts of the Spirit, don't we? Those gifts and graces that, that enable us to serve God and each other in love. But there's one important thing that the, the Holy Spirit does that, that is left off that usual list of things that we think about when we think of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I wonder if there's any, any brave soul out there who might be able to venture a guess as to what is being left off this little list of ours. Joy, peace, and comfort, strength, power, wisdom, gifts of the Spirit. No one. Oh, yeah. Farsightedness? Yeah, well, uh, we'll factor that under wisdom, right? The ability to, to see long term. Yeah, I like that's a really good one, though. Yeah, love. Yeah, yeah, it gives us the ability to love. Yeah, forgiveness. Yes, yeah. The the Holy Spirit is, is intricately involved in the work of forgiveness. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think the Holy Spirit is involved in that that pit you get in your stomach. When you've done something wrong. And I think you two were actually touching on really close to where I'm getting at. So according to, to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, and several points uh, in the writings of Paul, one of the most important things that the Holy Spirit does for us is convict us of our sin and our wrongdoing. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our wrongdoing. And the reason that that is so critically important to us is that human beings, we are masters of self-deception. There is absolutely nothing that we cannot do that we cannot then justify or rationalize. Right? So so I, I don't know if this is you, but this is certainly me. Have you ever been at a birthday party and someone offered you a piece of cake? And you said, oh no, I'm on a diet. I cannot have a piece of cake. I'll just have, a, just give me a little sliver of cake. So you just have a sliver of cake. And then two minutes later, you have another sliver of cake. And then two minutes later, you have another sliver. Until 12 slivers later, you've actually consumed an entire piece of cake. And somehow eating 12 slivers of cake is okay, whereas having that single piece is not in our minds. We can rationalize and justify pretty much anything that we want to do. If you've ever been out driving and you 
cut somebody off, knowing full well if that person had done that to you, you would employ some very specific body language to let them know uh, that they are not good drivers, right? And in, in that situation, you know that they're a bad driver, but when we cut people off, it's not that we're bad drivers, it's just that there's all these extenuating circumstances that forced us to have to make this decision. Oh yes, we can rationalize and justify just about any action. And while those are two just kind of light-hearted little tee-hee examples, those same principles apply to, to our addictions, to our unhealthy habits of mind and body and spirit, to all those dark secrets we have knocking around in our hearts that, that we don't like to even admit are there, much less talk about in polite company. We are masters of self deception. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is to come into our lives and cut through all of that, cut through those layers of self-deception that we've built up and reveal who and how we really are, no matter how messy that reality may be. And I really want to emphasize here that the Holy Spirit does not do that to the end of making us feel shame about ourselves. Right? Christianity does not have a strong track record uh, in this regard. It's not about shame. Rather, the Holy Spirit reveals our sin and wrongdoing that we may be freed from the power that they have over our lives. That's the language that Scripture uses. The Scriptures talk about liberation and freedom from bondage and unburdening. Scripture does not talk about shame and carrying that around inside of you. So when Jesus talks about the sin of blaspheming against the Spirit, what he's talking about is an ongoing, defiant opposition of the work of the Spirit in our lives. And in particular, the work of the Spirit in convicting us of our sin and our wrongdoing. So of course, right, uh, of course this is a sin for which we will not find forgiveness because this is the very sin of thinking that we're not in need of forgiveness in the first place. This is a sin of pride, the, the sin of believing that we are so righteous that we have all our stuff together that we are not in need of forgiveness at all. And we see this, don't we? We see that this on bold display in the lives of the religious experts in this morning's reading. So these religious experts, they are there and they've heard story after story and testimony after testimony of the miracles that Jesus has been performing in people's lives. All around them, people are being freed from their demons. People are experiencing healing and wholeness. People's dignity is being acknowledged in in new and just really beautiful ways. And these religious experts, they look at all this wonderful, miraculous stuff that's going on, and they scoff at it, and they denounce it, and and they go so far as even to claim that it is the work of Satan himself. Tell me this. How can people who are so, so 
convicted of their own righteousness, who are in such heavy denial about their need for forgiveness, who are unable to see God at work in the world around them. How are such people able to receive the deliverance God has to offer? How are they going to find freedom from the sin and wrongdoing that has power over their lives? And what Jesus says in today's passage is they can't because you have to be open to the possibility of the Spirit doing a new thing in your life. You have to be open to the Spirit mining through those layers of self-deception that you have built up in order to find that freedom. So this is all basically a very long way of saying that if you have ever asked yourself, if you ever pondered, if you've ever wondered if it is possible to do something for which God will not forgive you, if you have ever wondered if you've done something that has somehow put you beyond the reach of God's redemption, if you wonder if you've ever done something that has made you unlovable, even in the eyes of an all-loving God. The good news for you this morning is that even in asking that question, right? even in asking, even in pondering those questions, you're showing that you do indeed have that openness to the Spirit that Jesus is talking about in today's passage. The good news for you is that anxiety that you feel around that, that pit that you have in your stomach, is the very thing that is telling you, no. No, there, there is nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And for that we say thanks be to God, Father, Son, and of course, Holy Spirit. Amen.